dia de sol Eu fui pra trabalhar Beautiful souls, I'm Camille. And this is Erica of the Healthcare from the Soul, the Healer's Journey podcast. Where we listen to stories from heart-centered healthcare providers who are rewriting their story as healers of this world. Now more than ever, they feel dissonance within themselves and the system and are answering their soul's calling for something more. Erica and Camille host retreats around the globe for healthcare professionals interested in discovering more about their life's purpose in the healing arts. To learn more, head on over to the show notes. Let's go to the show. Hello, we have a special guest for you today, Dr. Wendy Schofer. Wendy is a pediatrician with 20 years of experience, which she now dedicates to helping parents of overweight children as a certified life, weight, and health coach. She's the founder of Family in Focus, where she empowers parents to shift the focus from what's wrong with their children's weight to how the parent can become the leader for a lifelong healthy habits for the whole family. Welcome to the Healthcare from the Soul, the Healer's Journey podcast. We so appreciate you being here and sharing your journey. It is truly my honor. This is magical to be here with you today. <laughs> Aww. I love that. So we're just going to start where everybody starts on the healer's journey. And that is what called you to healthcare? What called you to medicine? Yeah. And you know what? Every time I'm asked this question, I always wonder, you know, what is it? Was it really a calling? Um, I have to very honestly admit to you, I didn't go to school to become a doctor. I thought that I was going to go study genetics. Oh my goodness. I fell in love with Punnett squares and Drosophila, those silly little fruit flies. I was the kid that was going all around in the high school, like when you had to, um, what is it? Keep your, keep your animal alive and thrive, whatever it is. My animal was Drosophila. I was that kid. And <laughs> I went off to college and I was in love with genetics. And then I found out that I could not handle being in a lab. It just was not my style. And I thought I was going to go into the FBI. I thought, oh, CSI, I'll do like genetic fingerprinting. Put me out in the field. Give me a badge, all this stuff. And yeah, that's not how it works. So... <laughs> <laughs> it, it was actually something that I found out that it just wasn't the vision that I had. And meanwhile, I was volunteering in college and uh, volunteering in different medical settings. And uh, I fell in love with the idea of medicine as a volunteer in the emergency room. And I, the, the thing that I remember is actually just hanging out with children after car accidents that's the one thing that sticks in my head and how I would just connect with them while their parents were getting worked up, um, you know, just kind of keeping them calm. And it was something I thought, hold on a minute. It's the connection. It, it's working with people. That, that's what I want to do. Where can I go with science and people? <laughs> yeah. And the connection. So you're, the target of this podcast or this, the intention of this podcast is to, to 
go through the healer's journey with the individual. Um, did you find that connection when you went into medicine? Yeah, I mean, I think that it was something that 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 is medicine to me. Medicine is all about the connection. And that's the part that has really spoken to me over all the different forms, you know, throughout my career, whatever medicine has looked like. If I think about it, it's about the connection that I was making with people along the way. And then we all know about all the other baloney and all the other systems issues and all the other crap that gets in the way. But honestly, medicine to me is the connection that we make with other people. Yeah, absolutely. And did you feel like you could can you could keep that connectivity throughout your career, throughout your 20 year career as a pediatrician? Um, I, I think that it's something that it's kind of evolved. And one of the things that I am trying to formulate in my mind right now is, is kind of how I started making that connection more with myself about mm -hmm. what it meant for me to be a healer, as opposed to strictly trying to connect with other people in, um, in a clinical setting and an administrative setting, whatever that is, and, and connecting with what it is that I really wanted to do, how I really wanted uh, the practice of medicine to look like for me. And that's not something that I ever learned before. Like it was always about, yeah, how do you connect with people? Like, you know, you're a really good doctor if you're able to connect with other people. That's what brings some of that, I don't know, that mojo, that secret sauce. But that concept of connecting with what I actually wanted, I got to tell you, I never heard of that before. Like that's not something that was ever taught. And I got to tell you for a long time, I thought that it was just me being selfish. What do you mean by that? Um, so, you know, on this journey that I had, I, it, it's kind of like this thing where I found myself pulling back from traditional practice. I found myself saying, you know what? I, I wasn't meant to work full time. You know, I give, give, give so much in the office and then I have nothing left over when I get home for my family. And that was something that I internalized as being something that, that meant that there was something wrong with me, that I didn't have enough energy, that I didn't have enough to give. And so I started pulling back and I would go to, you know, part-time, I would go to, you know, work partially here in the clinic, and then I'd be doing, you know, work out in the community as well. And wherever I went, it's like it kept on haunting me. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm giving, giving, giving. And, and I feel like I have no energy left over, even though I'm cutting back on that time. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started looking at, hold on a minute, what do I actually need? What's fueling me to be able to help other people, to be able to really connect with them? And it's really, I'm formulating this as I go right now. <laughs> But, you know, this is something that it, it's really about how I was able to connect with, yeah, with, with myself, what I needed, yeah. what fueled me. It's like the idea of um, serving from overflow instead of depletion, right? Like mm -hmm. filling your cup up first, putting your oxygen yeah. mask on first before you assist your children. Um, 
Yeah. I think that healer, I call it the healer's hop, right? When we go from place to place and it's like, okay, if I just do, you know, two shifts a week, or if I just cut down to 10 shifts a month, then, or I go to, you know, to um, 12 hour shifts, five, you know, the healer's hop that we, I went on, Camille went on, sounds like you went on. Um, but always going back to the idea of self and serving self first before you can go out into the world and serve others. Yeah. I realized after the fact that, you know, technically what I had gone through was like different versions of of burnout over time. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have that word back then. And I sure didn't have the, the words to be able to say that it was something where I needed to fill my own cup first or, you know, anything about that. Um, I just found that I kept on thinking it's got to be different somewhere else. I just Mm got to get out of this. And I, you know, it was just all that depersonalization. Oh my goodness. My husband made a very awesome t-shirt with a direct quote that I used every single day when I came home from a certain hospital. And I actually recently found this this t-shirt and it cracks me up because that's when I realized that I was actually going through burnout back then. Didn't realize it because of the quote on there. And it is not going to be said just in case. I don't know if your uh, podcast is explicit rated or not. <laughs> it's for adults. Yeah. Oh my goodness gracious. The, the pediatrician with a sailor's mouth. But, <laughs> That's when I realized it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I've gone through all of this and everywhere I go, it follows me. Hey, maybe it's not the system. Maybe it's me, like seriously. And that's where, when I put that together with, you know, learning so much more about burnout and, you know, the interpersonal factors that contribute to burnout, it's not all the system. As much as I would love to blame the system, I got to tell you, I burnt out from a volunteer position. Like, seriously, <laughs> all volunteer. I'm like, this is just something that I have to look at. What is it that I'm contributing here? But also, what is it that I need? what is it that I truly need? And, and that's not selfish to ask that it's trying to figure out what's the missing piece. How do I fill my own cup? Yeah. So, so take us back to that moment, the moment where you realize like this just isn't working and I need to choose me. I need to choose myself. I really need to figure this out. Can you like take us back to really like the the minute to minute, if you can, time where you had this awakening, if you will? I have to tell you, I didn't realize it in real time. Mm. You know, that isn't something that I realized back then. Again, I thought that there was something broken with me. I thought that I just need to keep on moving on. And I thought that there was something wrong with, you know, with the jobs, the bosses, the structure, all that kind of stuff. It wasn't until later on that I had more distance <laughs> to be able to look back, more insight and, and a different vocabulary. Mm. It, it really is something that I, in medicine, I was 
just always taught you just need to work harder. You need to pour more into it. Um, there's always more that you can do. And I thought that there was something wrong with me that I couldn't put any more into it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. when you took that space and you took that pause, what was able to float in? So I got to tell you, it was really transitioning. You know, again, I, I tried full time, <laughs> not so much. When, when I went to part time, I started doing more things outside of the clinic. And honestly, it's when I learned to start, you know, gardening, start yeah doing like physical activity, not because I had to, but because I enjoyed it. And cooking as much as my family still does not believe that I know how to cook. Um, <laughs> I, I was deployed. Okay. I got deployed. And while I was deployed, my husband got rid of all my cookbooks. He said, because you don't use them anyway. Okay. So this is the family that I'm in. <laughs> Like, I don't think you understand the point of cookbooks. <laughs> so, but that's where I just started to be able to explore and do different things that I, I found what was bringing me joy. And it wasn't all tied into that role, that identity of being a pediatrician. Oh, yeah. And I, I honestly think looking back now, that had a lot to do with it, that I could start looking at who I am as opposed to the role um, mm-hmm. that I fill. And I mean, yeah, I'm a pediatrician and you just can't rip it out of me. I mean, I, I get it, my personality, my approach, like it's just infused, but there's still so much more to me than the practice of pediatrics. That's so interesting. When I would go part-time because of all the reasons why that you stated, I would just end up picking another part-time job up. (laughs) And until I realized that I had that pattern and I finally just said no more, it's interesting. That's where I found this space to really discover who I was too. And I never thought of it that way. And instead of Filling that I doing things that fill that identity. Who else am I, and what else can I enjoy? What do I enjoy? Mm-hmm. Is really even a even even a, um, a a great question to ask for those of you guys who are listening and who are on this journey too. Yeah. Uh, is what brings me joy. What lights me up. Mm-hmm. What lights I had me a up. couple of really awesome opportunities along the way, um, which were kind of like one year off type of things. Um, My husband is also a physician. And so right after I got off of full-time active duty, um, I took a a one-year sabbatical, as I called it. (laughs) Also known as, I'm not getting a job for one year because he was getting, he was doing a one-year fellowship. Like, I'm not doing all this for one year. Like, forget about it. Let's, I'll take a sabbatical. (laughs) But in that year, I started you know, spending a lot more time, um, again, with my family and exploring different things. Um, And I was at home with my son until he said, Mom, I want to go back to school. (laughs) (laughs) 
God bless him. Oh my gosh. At five years old, he's like, this is not working. I I need to go to school. Um, But it happened again where we actually, all right, my coworkers are going to let me know. (laughs) Hey, go lay down, man. Um, my, my husband had another, um, military transfer that we went for one year. And again, I was like, how much do I really want to start things up again? So I actually kept my job where we were before I would go back and travel for uh, one week out of the month. I would work a whole bunch of shifts. Mm -hmm. And then for the other three weeks, I was a CrossFit instructor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was the bomb. And so, you know, previously, you know, I had explored CrossFit. I'm like, this is really awesome. I want to take it to another level. I want to learn more. And then I just said, you know what, I'm going to be an instructor full time, if you will, you know, for three weeks out of the month, every month. And it was just that kind of opportunity to, to go and explore and see what brought me joy. And it, it was, again, connecting with people, Yeah, how I could connect with people in a completely different way. And um, that's really where, where it brought it back for me, that it was about the people. It wasn't about the medicine. Mm-hmm. When I started finding that, that connection in other ways that I always thought that I had to do it, in the medical office one way or another, just keep on searching for the next one. (laughs) Yeah. That, um, breaking away from that identity, right. And realizing one of the first pre-interviews we did for this podcast, um, she said, I'm just going to be bold. There's so much more to me than me as a physician, me as a as the character of physician. And we are all such multidimensional beings. And I always wondered what that space allowed us to do when we took that space away from um, the conventional practice. And that's what it does, right? Like if you, if you do just kind of explore the myriad of paths that you can, um, that bring you joy or that light you up, um, then you'll find maybe a new path or 10 new paths where you can connect and hold space for people, right? I always say that healers are um, space holders. And yeah. So what, when you took these sabbaticals and you started the transition, what did you, how did you get into coaching? Where did you find lifestyle medicine? I'm trying to fit together the whole story here. Yeah. <laughs> it's the well, healer's journey. It, it was actually, you know, so I was working um, part-time in the clinic and then, you know, the rest of the time, which was part-time plus, I was in that volunteer role. I I was the leader of a, of a local nonprofit and I started doing research to try to create a, a a pediatric diabetes prevention program. And I was really diving into, you know, what kind of um, studies are out there, what kind of programs are out there. And 
I started discovering lifestyle medicine at that point in time, like it, like the whole concept of capital L, like lifestyle medicine. I was like, hold on, this is a thing. This is what I've been doing. This is what I've been picking up, you know, like the gardening, the cooking, the, the you know, movement, like not just exercise, but movement uh, for your wellness, like all of this. I'm like, oh yeah, this, this is something that I can't believe there's a name to it because I've been doing it the whole time, but let me dive into this a little bit more. And so it was really nice for me. It was validating to see that there were other people that had this similar approach and to be able to really feel like there was a, a tide that was turning. It was, you know, that, that movement. Okay. There's, there's more to medicine than writing a prescription, you know, and I will readily admit my goal. And I admit this to my patients and everybody else is that I never want to write another prescription again. <laughs> and they look at me kind of funny. I'm like, no, seriously, I don't want to have to ever prescribe another medication. That would be winning medicine to me. <laughs> well, and it is the first treatment is lifestyle. This lifestyle Absolutely. changes the first treatment to everything. Everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, um, to answer your question about, uh, coaching, to be honest with you, it was my husband that introduced me to a, um, what do you call it? To one of these forums. I, I think it was like a, a financial independence forum. Um, cause my husband loves finances and all of that. Like he, he's that guy. Um, so he's like, Hey, check this out. They've got all these different speakers. I'm like, I don't want to do real estate. I don't want to flip houses. Like I have no interest in any of this stuff. I started hearing about coaching. Like, what is this? Is this, what, what is this? I've never heard of this before. And I was very, very skeptical. Okay. I got to tell you, I wear skepticism, like on the outside, <laughs> like, what is this crazy stuff that they're talking about? And I just, it, it was enough that I remember myself going on dog walks, listening and writing down while I'm walking. Like I still have these little notepads of what is this concept that they're talking about? And I just started pursuing it. Cause I'm like, there's something here. And the more that I listened, I started listening to podcasts, which I never did before. <laughs> like, I just want these people in my head all the time. And I thought there is so much more here because it's talking about that connection. Mm -hmm. Hold on a minute. There is this connection with another person, understanding the why behind you know, health behind different decisions, behind relationships. Like there's so much more there that I just, I totally dove in. I'm like, there is, this is something that I had never, ever heard before. I never had an actual psychology class mm -hmm. in all of my medical training and all of my undergrad. I did do sociology. And of course I took developmental pediatrics, but still never an actual psychology class. And it just opened my eyes so much to what I thought was the missing link for really connecting with others, connecting with myself, connecting with my family. And then after I started seeing the effects that we were having here at home, 
my relationship with my mother and my mother-in-law. Okay. Both of those right there. If I can transform those, it's wonderful. <laughs> Let's take this to the streets. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like such a simple fix, right? Like if you can introduce coaching into medical curriculums, why, why not do that? Mm. <laughs> yeah. When do you tell us? <laughs> All right. I think we might have to put our heads together on this one because yeah. I don't think it's, it's an easy fix. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the skepticism, um, well, I can say that I came in with a lot of skepticism. I still see it all over the place. You know, what's this snake oil? What is this? You're just talking. You know, you're just not, you're not providing medical care. There's a lot of other messages that are coming through. Um, that skepticism, that doubt, it's just people that, that haven't experienced it themselves. Right. But um, I got to tell you, while I don't officially practice coaching in my medical practice, I am still, you know, practicing. Um, I got to tell you, my patients reap the benefits of coaching all the time. And a lot of it right now is with identifying what's going on, kind of calling out the emotional undertones in a visit. A lot of it is anxiety right now. Um, when I hear uh, parents talking about their anxieties and like, tell me about it. Anxiety about what? And it's actually opening the door where previously I would have been like, oh, don't touch this with a 10 foot pole. You're going to be here for an extra 15 minutes. Like that was my old brain. <laughs> like I'm going to get behind. And now I have the tools that I can actually call it out. Mm-hmm. And the moms look at me like, you're going there? I'm like, yeah, tell me what's going on. And it's just refreshing for them to have a completely different conversation. And whatever the concerns are, we're addressing them. We're addressing that we're normalizing it. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's normal to be anxious when your kid is diagnosed with COVID let's address that. Let's not, you know, push it away. So I I find that that has really been a game changer for me to be able to really connect with the parents, with the patients, with the teenagers. Um, Absolutely. I think your original question was (laughs) more of bringing it more mainstream though <laughs> yeah well this is brings up a good question i mean a good like well, what is the definition of medical care what is the definition of healing and health and why is asking better questions or different questions snake oil yeah so it's really like looking at what these definitions are and you're welcome to define any of those and then really saying like how can we expand that to include a different way of practicing? I feel like I just want to sit here and shake my head and just agree because I don't have, I I don't have the exact answer on all this. And I think that might be the magic in it Mm -hmm. to stop saying that we have all the answers and to make it sound like, you know, in order to have health, you need to have 
a weight that's this, a cholesterol that's this, that you need to have the absence of all these different factors. I, I think it's really looking at how do we help each individual wherever they are truly optimize their experience, um, find, find that health wherever they are. And that's very individual. And no matter how much we say that we're doing interpersonal care, I can't say that that's really been my experience to really truly meet people where they are. We're trying to get them to fit into these boxes. I, I always go back to, you know, pediatrics and growth charts and, you know, it, all this, this labeling of kids because, you know, they're, you know, too high on the growth chart, too low on the growth chart, all of that. But just like, where do we meet folks where they are and help them thrive? I mean, truly thrive. I think that's the definition we need to make it. What does it mean to really thrive? (laughs) And that sounds like the art of medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the art of medicine, right? Where it's individualized care. It's personalized care. It's the care between your healthcare professional and your patient. It's the intimacy. And the connection, like you were mentioning. Yeah. That medicine to you is connection. Mm. Right. Yeah. I think so looking to answer your question, not to answer your question, but to explore your question, Camille, of why is this considered snake oil? We have to look at the historical context of what me- of what healthcare is, right? Like medicine and healthcare are two different things. Um and traditionally healthcare and the Everybody who is on the other side knows this. It's, a, it's built on a patriarchal system, right? Paradigm. And in that paradigm, we have, we really only target the physical aspect of health, of thriving, right? We don't look at the social, the environmental, the relationships, the nutritional, the you know, mental, emotional, you know, and so, and that's all we know as a society, the healthcare system that exists right now is all we know because it's what we've grown up in and what we were trained in. And so maybe we can explore how is that shifting? How is that changing? How is the more holistic comprehensive um, matriarchal (laughs) paradigm stepping in and allowing the shifts to come about where coaching or lifestyle changes aren't looked at as quacks or (laughs) snake oil, right? a lot of it comes down to us having the lived experience Mm -hmm. and to really speak our truths about what's working for us. Because if I would rewind five years ago, I would be like, "Mm -mm, not for me. 
not for me because I didn't have that experience. I didn't have it. Like, this is something that I would love to have said, or even just now, like turn back and say, oh, I wish that I would have been exposed to this so much earlier. I got to tell you, I wasn't ready for it. Mm-hmm. I had my skepticism lens on. And I, I think that it's something that's evolving. But part of that evolution is those of us that are saying, no, listen, this is where I've been. And this is where I am now. I am healthier, more connected, you know, better relationships. And I love medicine. I love the medicine that I'm practicing now. And it's available for others. You know, I'm not trying to force anything down anybody's throats. You know what? If you want to go and keep on practicing how you've been practicing, you do that. But I got to tell you, I love the way that I'm doing it now. Oh, my goodness. I just wrote to my boss the other day and I said, hey, listen, these are some things that are going on. And P.S., by the way, I love my job. (laughs) Wow. But it's possible. It's possible. But I think we need to really speak up about what that means. And I love that approach of that, I'm not going to say it correctly either, that matriarchal, (laughs) matriarchal, I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not used to saying this word, but it's beautiful. We need to work on this more. (laughs) But, you know, so much of, you know, it's been the the physical and then it's what's wrong with your mental health. Mm. You know, the, the, um, um, the, the deficient deficiency model. And then it's like, there's something in between there in addition to the relationships and, um, you know, the, the, um, the, the social and, um, I'm totally blanking on all the aspects of health. Yeah. <laughs> but all of it, but it's like, there's, there's so much more and it's truly, the thing that it really resonates with me is how it's going back to what prevention really means. I mean, this is getting into pediatrics deep. Like, how can I really help kids, families thrive? Not because I'm addressing something that's broken, but because I'm helping them amplify what's working and also just really just live their best lives. Yeah. I loved what you said about this, about speaking our truth, right? And how we can weave that in as providers is speaking our truth, not only with our coworkers, our colleagues, but also with our patients and how that is the matriarch, right? That's going more towards the feminine side of medicine, where we show up in our vulnerability. And I think that that's um, a new concept for the, it's it's not the old way of doing things, that's for sure, right? Where I'm perfect, I have all the answers, which is something that you mentioned before, and that we actually need to step away from that and say, I I don't have all the answers. Actually, patient, (laughs) you have the answers. Yeah. Let's work yeah. in figuring out what those answers are. So I love that pulling that into the way that providers in the future 
can really serve and ask the question, how can I really help? How can I really help? How can I really help today when I show up and help, you know, and, and serve my patients? And I love this conversation where we're not really working on the how, because we can get in the weeds with the how. Yeah. And that's a conversation for another time, really. Um, because we really have to do this thing where we dream big. And that leads me to ask you, like, what is your little dream, medium dream, an enormous dream for the way that you see healthcare? <laughs> That's going to take a moment. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I got to tell you, just thinking about the way that you were describing, like, how can I help you? Like really looking at healthcare as being something that is being supportive and responsive to what the individual is needing. Um, not not from the standpoint of like, hey, I'm meeting you and this is how I'm going to fix you, but like, how can I help you? That That is a completely different question. That's going to get completely different answers than the way that we're doing it. And, and I know that a lot of us will lead with that question, but truly looking at what does that mean and how can we really lead with that question in the routine medical, you know, setting, how can I help you? I'm just going to wrap my brain around that one for a little bit. <laughs> um, but, but I think what you're saying, you know, as far as looking at how the, the client, the patient, the individual, whatever you want to call them, whatever the setting is that you're working in, how they have the answer for them for their family, you know, for them as an individual, I, I think helping people unlock that is going to really open doors for us to be able to change healthcare, to really be able to change what it looks like to truly help other people, help them unlock the answers that are for them. Because it's not one size fits all. I mean, even just looking at like nutrition. Okay. Well, that's not such a small thing, but it's, <laughs> if there was one right diet, don't you think we'd all know by now? Like there's so many different approaches and it's like saying, well, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to eat or you know, all of that. Well, no, why don't we help individuals figure out which one works best for them and stop this this thing that there's always a right or a wrong answer. It's only right or wrong for the individual. Yeah. You mentioned that in your pre-interview, which I loved. And it's this idea of we don't need to fix people because they're not broken. And then also this idea of when we're asking ourselves, how can I help? How can I really help? It's getting connected back with self, which is um, what I hear is so um, strong within your connection as medicine, right? And so you have to be connected with your authenticity before stepping in and saying, then how can I help and serve somebody else, this, this patient or client in front of me? So how do you connect to yourself? What are some of the tools that we could give the audience of, 
of, um, of how to even begin connecting. So, you know, that thing that you were mentioning about, it's not about the how, these are just the hows that work for me. And that, that's the thing that it's like, you, you know, you got a Chinese menu out there. You can be like, I want this, this, and that, and ditch all the rest. <laughs> so I got to tell you um, a couple of things. So I carve out time for myself now first. Um, and what that really looks like is, oh my gosh, sleep. I, I was not a particularly strong resident. I will completely admit that. Okay. I've got plenty of feedback from um, my mentors <laughs> and different attendings over time. And I realized it's because I was pre-work hour, you know, restrictions and everything. I had no sleep. Oh my God. I was dysfunctional. <laughs> but that's one of those things that I've really learned. I need that that sleep first um and then the other thing is that i make sure that i'm moving every single day and it has nothing to do with exercise and weight and burning calories and all that kind of stuff i am a much nicer person when i move and just getting out airing out whatever it looks like it, it can just be a dog walk it can even just be getting out and like just sitting quietly on the porch. But, you know, like there's just different things that fuel me. And that's what it all comes back to. It's filling my cup. And, and you know, I realize that moving every single day, oh, yeah, got to happen. And sleep, got to happen. <laughs> um, at work. This has been an, an interesting recent topic, but uh, you know, there's there's been a lot more flow. I, I work in pediatric urgent care now, and um, a lot more flow of patients. And there's been a lot of the messaging about you know, just do whatever you need to do for the charts, and then move on. Come back to them later on. And I'm like, nope, I'm sorry, no, that that's not going to work. And they're looking at me like, what are you talking about? I said, no, 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 no. It's about us taking care of ourselves first, which includes that patient chart happens during the visit. Get it done and then move on. And I uh, have had a, a warm reception um, from folks because I've been working with uh, leadership on this about how we need to change that message that is being sent to our colleagues about, you know, you just got to see more faster and it's like, no, 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 we got to take care of our staff and what their needs are first, which includes focusing on one patient, one chart at a time. Yeah, I, I love these steps about carving out time for yourself first. Sleep, I'm a big sleep fan as well. Um, moving every day and then really um, having boundaries at work. And it's interesting because at times, you know, we can all know this, right? And we can add this as a to-do list, right? Okay, now I moved every day. Now I've got my sleep. But how do you feel? Like, how does that, for somebody who's in the weeds, right? Who's actually in it, knee deep. What is the feeling that you have when you're connected to self? Like, how do you know you're bring there? That up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, because I feel like I'm giving a gift to myself. 
it's not a, another thing on my to-do list. This is a way that I, I'm honoring what I need. And it's not like feeling bad that I need this. This is just, yeah. I mean, the, the wording that I keep on coming back to is a gift that I'm giving to myself that I'm finding a way to make this happen. Um, yeah, it's so not a checkbox for me whatsoever. And, and it's coming down to that why. Because, I mean, if I just looked at movement as something that I had to do, well, yeah, I could understand that it could be really just another thing. But when I realize how much better I feel with it, how much better the rest of the day goes, and I'm not messing around with this. I am such a nicer person. <laughs> I am so much nicer when I move, um, nicer to myself and nicer to other people. It, it is truly something that is not just one more thing. It's me understanding why it's a part of every single day. Um, why I make sure that there is a hard, hard bedtime. <laughs> Yeah, I think self-care, caring for self, I like changing it around to caring for oneself, right? Caring for yourself, myself, is self-care is healthcare. I love, I love Erica um, used to phrase it that way. And that we feel like it's selfish and how moving from it being something where we feel like it's selfish to then being vital <laughs> for our connection with our family, with ourselves, to be a happier person and more enjoyable. Yeah. Like, a, I guess at what point did you transition over and then it just clicked? Going to make me go back here. Let me think. Yeah. Is there an actual clicking moment? Um, you know, I... It, it, it wasn't like one kind of, of moment um, thing. I, it's just a realization that nobody else is going to take care of me. Like if I don't take care of myself, that's it. And I, I can, you know, be working on, you know, my, my marriage. I can be working on, you know, helping my kids out and the rest of my family and in my community. But Ultimately, I'm the only one that takes care of me. And if I'm not doing that, I can't be good at all those other things. I'm so much less effective. And I mean, give me one, one night where I've got crappy sleep and I, I've got some great evidence right there about how ineffective I am at helping anybody else because I wasn't helping myself. And I, I think that the other part that comes up is I, I kind of go back to those times where I was, you know, going back to, to active duty, full-time pediatrics, hair on fire all over the place. I had nothing left to give my family when I got home. Like I was just so upset about how I had no energy left to give them. I didn't even notice it was that I didn't have any energy for myself. Mm. And so I can see that now, but it, it's more of that evolution. It's the journey. Um, 
slightly related note. Like I, I remember, I do know like the time that I said, I will never again have a chart lingering. You know, every day, you know, when, when I'm done, all of my charts are done. Like there, there's no carrying them over. And, and that was because there was actually a date night that my husband and I went on <laughs> where I, we were transitioning from paper charts to the computer and I was just inefficient, ineffective with it. I had this like huge pile and my husband and I went on a date night to work <laughs> where he's sitting there watching Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, having the time of his life in my office, cracking up. And I'm just like, babe, you're amazing. I love you so much as I'm typing <laughs> the entire time. And that was the day that I said, Never again. I'm going to learn how to get everything in the computer in real time because I don't ever want to have a date night in my office. And he's amazing for that. <laughs> but still, like, that was that moment that that switched for me. Mm. But I don't have a whole ton of those types of moments, thank goodness. Um, that was kind of like the hitting the wall kind of thing. I think a lot of it is just the the journey and how I just started noticing, okay, this works a little bit better for me this way. Mm -hmm. Hold on a minute. Maybe this isn't me being selfish. This is me actually just seeing what works for me. And when it works for me, it works for everybody else really well too. Mm. Yeah. I love it. You talk, um, you've, you've touched on what, what I would say is, personal responsibility, right? No one else is going to care for me the way that I can care for myself. And, um, and that's, and that's so important because that's then how you can show up with boundaries within work, within self, within your family, making yourself priority and recognizing too this idea of, of worthiness, right? And being worthy of, of not just giving and giving and giving, but that you're worthy of time as well. And it's so interesting, you know, you say that you didn't have time left for your family. I remember um, growing up, my dad was a pediatrician and uh, he, my mom would always say, they get the best of him at work because he would come home and then check out. And I heard that it was a belief that was instilled in me, you know, that doctors don't have time for their family. I ended up becoming a PA because I was thinking that was going to be a little bit better. Um, but it's these things that we've learned too when we were um, children, these beliefs that are in some we were children. Do you have a belief that you feel like you really had to break about what it is to be an adult in this world? Oh, there's so many. I'm trying to figure out which one. <laughs> Honestly, I think just checking my definition of what it means to be a good, insert the blank, a, a good mom, a good wife, a good pediatrician, a good daughter, like all of that. Like it, there's so much expectation tied into what it means to be a good anything. And that's something that I've really had to go back and look at. And there's a whole lot of perfectionism tied up in that. There's a whole lot of expectation. Um, 
And there's a whole lot of not recognizing just how freaking amazing I am already, thinking that I need to do something else to be good, to be better, to be the perfect, insert the blank. Um, that's a work in progress for me. I will totally admit it. Like that is, that is something that is so ingrained in us and we just kind of take it for granted about what does it mean to be a good mom? Oh my goodness, good wife and good doctor. Good doctor, that that has probably gotten me into more quicksand than anything. Just, you know, with that expectation about how I needed to give so much more that I needed to meet all of my patients' needs, that I needed to be there no matter what, that I had to, you know, keep on going, address all the needs that they're bringing in for the day because that's what a good doctor does. Uh, That's how they got the best of me back in those days because I wasn't checking those beliefs. I wasn't looking at how I needed to take care of myself in order to be a good doctor. And maybe even put some breaks on being the good doctor so that I can also be the good wife <laughs> and mother and everything else. Cause I mean, it, it's kind of going back. I, I've got this picture that I love when I talk about work-life balance. It's the most beautiful multicolored unicorn. <laughs> and you know, this whole like work-life balance. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's a unicorn. It, it's, you are trying to focus where you are right now and, you know, do the best that you can, but that's still the balance of you can only do what you're focusing on right now. And so like I leave work at work. I totally focus on my family when I'm home. And that's work-life balance to me, but it's not really balance. It's like serial multi-focus or serial focusing. (laughs) I focus on this here and I'm really darn good here. And this over here. Mm. Revolving to live your best life. Yeah. You can be there to support others living theirs. Right. What advice do you have for people who are still in the thick of it who maybe don't feel comfortable having the conversations have you always had the conversations with leadership have you always had those boundaries or is this something that came about during the healing process And what advice do you have to give to those who are scared to go to their manager or their CMO or whoever's making the rules? Um, Yeah. I got to tell you, I can only say what's worked for me or my journey. And I would hardly say that it's the advice for everyone to follow. (laughs) Because I got to tell you, I... I've been practicing finding my voice for years and I cannot say that the way that I approached it in the past (laughs) 
was particularly effective. Okay. So like focus, whatever your concerns are, do not go in with the whole laundry list. You're going to dilute your concerns. Okay. I didn't learn that. I kind of thought in the first place, I would be really exhaustive with everything that was wrong. Oh my God. no! <laughs> don't do that. Okay. Advice number one, don't do the laundry list. Um, but I, I think it's really, just building that relationship, I, I think so much of it is is truly coming back to, you know, how can I thrive here? How can I be the most effective physician? You know, if we're talking about in that kind of situation where we're trying to um, to mobilize resources or to be able to shine a light on on issues, like how is it that I can actually be more effective. And that's the way that I've been approaching this um, most recently, which I found a lot more, um, it's a better reception. (laughs) As opposed to just saying, again, you know, like we were talking before about not focusing on what's broken, just going in and saying like, this is broken, even if I'm saying this is broken and this is the fix, eh, how can I be more effective? What do I find I need in order to be more effective? And then, of course, looking back at, you know, always talking that language about evidence, evidence. Oh, man, I love medicine. Always looking for the evidence. All right, fine. I'm going to bring in your evidence. (laughs) I love that. Um, But my other favorite one is I'm creating the evidence. And so support me and I'm going to show you the evidence of how this is better, how this works for me, working right now with the workflows, trying to um, eliminate clicks. Oh my goodness, all the clicks in the (laughs) Oh my goodness, I love how much they are trying to do data dredging off of what they're asking the docs to just keep on clicking, like no. No, does not improve things for me. And so I I think a lot of it is that I have a little bit of a different voice now that they're like, what, what is this? Where is this coming from? And so I'm trying to just shine a light on what's possible. That's the other part. Oh yeah. Um, Shining a light on what's possible how can we improve this as opposed to everything that's broken? We all know the system is broken. We all know that. But how can we approach it a little bit differently? What is possible? How can we make this better? And right now I've got a lot of colleagues who are looking for other jobs. You know, they're, they're, they're burning out. And I'm talking with my own leadership about, the other supports that we can offer um, from a system perspective, you know, why I'm working so much on the medical record and trying to help my colleagues like get the messaging that they can complete their records in real time, prioritize what they need to take care of themselves. So by the way, for the system, they'll stay. Mm -hmm. If we don't change that, we're going to lose colleagues left and right because they don't think they're being valued. So I hear this in your immediate dream, really looking at, excuse me, the effect of being more effective. And um, 
and uh, the medical record and enhancing, um, you know, uh, prioritizing self-care and connection with self and how these things are really important in the immediate. Now, I remember when we had our pre-interview, you mentioned that you didn't really have this vision for what being a doctor would look like. You just went from high school to college to medical school to residency. And now you do. Now you have this vision of what you would like for your future to look. I would love to know what your future vision of healthcare is in for your children. As your children are being raised through this healthcare system, what do you hope is there for them? And again, we have to really remove the how when we have these visions because we can get so inundated and so we with all of the, the minutia, the details of the of the how, of the of the charting, of you know, of of our direct supervisors, of whoever is really running the ship. So I'm curious and I, I love that you mentioned personal responsibility as being one of those things that is really important um, in the immediate as well. But what are we looking at in this future vision dream of what healthcare looks like to you? So there's, I, I'm, I'm picturing my children who are not particularly young. So, <laughs> um, so my, my children, I am very close to, to the end of my 18 year plan. So I, I'm so excited about that. <laughs> we have, Eric and I have littles. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. I, I am totally the matriarch here, but anyway, <laughs> bring that word back in <laughs> Um, I, I have an adult child and I have a 17 year old and I got to tell you, as I'm looking at what this means for them going forward, it's quite honestly, very similar to what I see for myself. Um, we've got plenty of diagnoses and, you know, labels and letters and all that kind of stuff in our family. I, I see true healthcare being something that isn't leading with diagnoses, not leading with the description of a person based off of what medications that they're taking, but truly something where we're helping, again, everybody thrive. Um, I, I've been working so much on my own messaging for, you know, family and focus and how I want to speak with parents who are concerned about their kids' weight, you know, whether it's overweight or obesity. And I keep on getting grief from my copywriters that are like, you need to call it out. They're, they're overweight kids. They're obese kids. I said, no, no, I'm not labeling these children. That's part of the issue. That is not something that defines who they are. And so I'm having my own issue as I'm working through all of this about talking with people, engaging with them, having them say, oh yeah, that's me. I'm a parent of a child who's dealing with this, but I'm also trying to be a part of that difference where I'm not going around and applying these labels that is, you know, in, in some way though, these labels impact how we see ourselves. 
where we let ourselves really grow. Like it, it's something that I, I think that there's a real change that we can affect in healthcare that is beyond diagnosis and treatment. It's truly helping people thrive. That's totally big vision there. <laughs> like there was no how in there whatsoever. But, <laughs> but but really, how do we get to that place where we're helping meet people's needs, the stated ones, but also the unstated? Mm. I look forward to folks welcoming my children with open arms, with no labels attached, with nothing defining them based on what medications they take. Um, I'm totally keeping all my kids' stuff private here, so I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just Completely like understanding what what that would look like. Yeah. Removing that identity to the label. Yeah. Allowing them to just be. <laughs> um. Yeah, because we're just so used to identifying with the disease, right? Like, I am a diabetic, and that's how I live my life. But there's so much more. Yeah, and that's, that's honestly like that thing that every single time I go with the copy, I, I keep on hearing, there's no such thing as a parent who's, who's struggling with overweight. They're struggling to help their overweight child. I'm like, Mm-mm, no, hard stop. I'm not labeling their kid. Overweight according to whom? Right. What, what does that mean for that child and for the parent that's labeling their, their kid as overweight? That, that's drawing attention to something that needs to be fixed. Mm. There's nothing that needs to be fixed about that child, you know, and we can put, you know, all of these labels, you know, you know, diabetic and obese and overweight, um, grab any one of your, you know, mental health uh, descriptors as well. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. There are ways that we can help, but anything else is applying some type of a label that we're suggesting that there's another, that they need to be fixed, can, should, would, all of that. And that's not helping them thrive where they are. How can we help people truly thrive? It's interesting. It makes me think of um, just having the symptoms and then figuring out the root cause to the symptom versus the symptom demology, right? Versus the, versus defining or labeling it based on the set of symptoms. So, you know, if you have obesity, then why, what, why does this weight need to be released, mm-hmm. right? Instead of losing weight, what is, you know, there within the family, because it's usually a familial issue too. 
like ER physicians do, right? It's just like writing down the symptoms. <laughs> Unlike family practice, where we're like, we need a diagnosis. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's really coming back to looking really at the root cause of, of why a patient is coming in with abdominal pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I, I can't remember off the top of my head this Harvard physician, he was a GI uh, surgeon, and he would have women come into his practice. It was primarily women that he saw this pattern with that would come in and have abdominal pain. And he couldn't find any reason for the abdominal pain after exploratory surgeries. And then so he thought, well, I'm going to start, I'm going to get a psychiatrist on staff and then they'll fill out this questionnaire. And one of the questions in the questionnaire is, did you have childhood trauma? And he noticed that the majority of women who had abdominal pain had childhood trauma. And so that was sort of his awakening to the root cause of of medicine, really looking at why we can have these real physical pains to something that's more of a psychological issue. And it can be something that's not as big T trauma that can also cause the stress in our bodies too. And for kids too, the abdominal pain and stress of school and potentially being bullied and all of that. So of life. (laughs) Yeah. Like, we talk about that a lot. Again, the, the pre-coaching that happens <laughs> in urgent care, but how, you know, sometimes we, we don't have the exact answer, but that doesn't mean that there's something wrong. And the other thing is that, you know, a lot of times our bodies will express things mm-hmm. that we just haven't yet really made that connection with our brain. And so, you know, a lot of times I'll explain to folks about you know how th- this isn't meaning that there's something wrong with their bodies. Their bodies are just expressing things for them right now. And there's definitely a lot more work that can be done. You know, this is this is still urgent care, by the way. <laughs> Do not tell my my boss that I'm spending that much time <laughs> with everybody. But it's still just trying to understand a little bit more about that. And also, I think, break that cycle of always thinking that there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how often, I mean, that's really, you know, when I was talking about addressing the, the parental anxieties, because they're looking everything up. They're, they're looking at what else is possible here. What could this mean? And, you know, we'll, we'll get off the whole Dr. Google thing, but... <laughs> But, you know, they have those seeds planted and then they just, you know, kind of ruminate on it. I'm like, all right, let's address all the concerns here. We may not have the answer today, but these are the things that we see that are really reassuring. And it does not mean that there's anything broken. I love that. And you're planting that seed. Yeah. You're planting it. Totally planting it. Because somebody's got to, somebody's got to. And I got to tell you, I I can't think of a better time to do it than when people are having a really crappy day. Mm -hmm. Nobody comes to urgent care because they are totally having the best day of their lives. But if I can start planting that seed and it's totally the general pediatrician coming out, you know, we'll just keep on following and reevaluating, but I'm not going to feel that pressure to order 
every test under the sun because this is the only chance I get to see you today. Uh Uh-uh, that's not helping anybody. No way. Mm -hmm. And this is how we just take things one step at a time, which is just like life. Oh my gosh, I talk about everything being an experiment. We see what works. We see what clues we get. Oh my goodness. I'm telling you, coaching and medicine, there's a great space in between the two. Mm -hmm. We can really bring together both sides to have much more effective conversations. Yeah, what a beautiful opportunity for, because you look at urgent care and you don't think of it being a place where you can plant the seed of hope. And what a powerful and beautiful opportunity for people to have to have that when they see you it's this is honestly like I keep on hearing from everybody saying that like all these parents are coming in they're like all pissed off about the weights and everything else I'm like I haven't met a single one I don't know what you're talking about I'm like you know they're all upset and like nobody's upset nobody's upset like I can count the number of, of people it, I, one, I, I can tell you about one where, you know, I had a mom that after I said, this is, you know, I'm just going to call it a rash, no big deal. And, you know, we'll just kind of see how things are going. And she started getting very upset. And again, I called it out and I said, Hey, what's going on? And she's like, well, actually that's what they told me back before I was diagnosed with lupus and nobody was paying attention to it. And so again, it was something, this is the closest thing I'd get to an upset parent. Um, (laughs) But she was like, you know, I'm concerned that this is where this is going. And so it just gave us an opportunity to address it there and to be able to say, I hear you. I totally hear you. I understand your concerns. That being said, while I appreciate that information, it actually doesn't change my assessment for today. But you need to keep on telling other doctors about that. Don't hide that. Mm -hmm. And so it's just building that connection. It's just calling it out. And I can't say this is all coaching. This isn't all coaching. But I got to tell you, I've learned how to be a much more empathic human (laughs) over the past several years, whether it's coaching whether it's just me growing, whether it's all the fun that I've had, you know, with navigating stuff with my kids. I swear my kids have taught me more about life than I have taught my kids. Oh my gosh, they're the best teachers. Best teachers. <laughs> yeah. And the 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 lack of patience complaining to you is the whole thing that the world that we see outside is a reflection of what we have going on inside. And so when you're connected to self, when you are present, then you probably won't see all those people coming to you with complaints. Well, it's totally the story that I am telling myself about it. And I saw this, um, this past week was really hard. Uh, There's been a lot that's, change with morale at work recently. Um, and when I was walking in and a very sunshiny, you know, uh, colleague of mine was making comments about how 
she was trying to prep herself up, you know, for going in and, you know, basically suggesting like a, a dread thing before she goes into the building. And that really stood out to me because it was different from before, um, from what, you know, our conversations were like. And I realized that, again, that, that difference, if that's what my colleagues are feeling as they're going in right now, first mm-hmm. of all, we need to help them. We need to figure out how to touch base with them. But also what's very different for me is that energy where I, I am not feeling that because the story I'm telling myself is that, you know, I'm ready to go have some fun. I have fun every single time because I've set it up that way. Yes, I have boundaries. I have, you know, clearly things that work for me, but everybody else is benefiting from that as well. And so, yeah, I'm totally joking around. I'm totally finding the, the fun the entire time. I mean, that, that's just, that's the way that I work. And that's something that I can't just say that that's something that somebody else can start doing, you know, that, that that's, that's what we need to work on. Um, from the perspective of supporting our colleagues right now, mm. what are the stories that they're telling themselves mm. before going in and helping them see what other opportunities they have? Because you can't just say, well, stop going to work with a whole lot of dread on your plate. Uh, what is that? Like, you, you, know, you can't just tell somebody <laughs> how to do it. And that's where coaching comes in mm-hmm. to really be able to understand, well, what is the story you're telling yourself before you go to work? Well, that's totally impacting how you're feeling and what you're doing once you're there. Uh I think that was a mic drop. (laughs) So it's funny, my, my boss is trying to get me to just come on in and tell everybody like how they can just do their charts more efficiently, how they can just, you know, wrap it all up. And uh, yeah, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) If it would have worked that way, don't you think they would already be doing this? So um, we're we're approaching this step by step right now. First of all, getting the buy-in from the the administration to say, hey, let's at least encourage folks to take care of their charts right away. Because we've learned this over so much time that we should just be prioritizing the patients and the flow and give them the opportunity to do that. But, you know, the, the staff, they're all going to those examples. They're like, well, I had a colleague who would sit down and only get like nine patients seen over the entire day because she would write war and peace. And I was like, there's no reason to write war and peace, but that's only one example how about we work with that individual about why she doesn't have to write the next great novel? <laughs> but meanwhile, just just try it. Just see what is possible. I betcha, I betcha you may find that, that that note doesn't take as long as you think it does if you just focus and get it done one at a time. But that's the thing, right? We, we throw up all the different uh, exceptions, examples, and reasons why it's not going to work for us which is why it comes down to thought work, you know, and, and coming down to the individual and meeting them where they are to understand. Mm-hmm. Do your colleagues approach you 
and ask you, why do you always look like you're having so much fun? And how do you do yes. that? <laughs> um, so it, yes. And, and oh my gosh, so this is me like putting aside that like crazy, like, oh, this is all selfish and all about me, 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 me. Um, no, they, they do. Like I have other, I have nurses that come up to me and I swear to God, direct quote, <laughs> the charge nurse said last week, I'm so glad you're here. You don't bring any drama. I'm like, why would I bring drama to work? No, that's not effective. But it's just like one of those things. I, I have fun. I have fun. I mean, what what's the alternative? For me, nothing productive. Yeah. I nothing that really helps me serves me, the staff, the patients. So yeah, I I'm always trying to find the fun because there's plenty of crap out there. There's plenty of things for me to feel miserable about, you know, but I don't want to lead with that. And it totally changes the energy when I can come in and I'm just in my zone, having fun. And uh, it's a great way to, to warm up the crowd when you're meeting patients. I got to tell you, <laughs> it is fantastic. Like every single room I go into, it it's just lighthearted conversation, joking, whatever it is. Like there's always something to lead with. And it's like, I'm in. Oh my goodness. When I hear about, you know, kids that aren't having a, a good day or the the kids, the, the bigger kids that are nonverbal or, you know, not really understanding what's going on. And the nurses will always give me that warning hey, there's this, this, and that diagnosis and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, game on, game on. Yeah. Like not, not an issue because I get it. They're having a crappy day, but you know what? I'm not. Mm. And so I'm going to try to share my good day instead of taking on their crappy day. Mm. Yeah. So you mentioned about your big, hairy, scary vision and dream of how healthcare would be in the future. And you were talking about this idea of removing diagnoses and labels and, 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 and merging um, coaching within to the medical practice. And is there anything else that you have a vision for in the future, the future of medicine? Or, or, and do you have anything that you can take with you of what's working now? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, the joy in medicine, that's for sure. Um, I, I have a, a friend who is spotlighting, bringing cheer, uh, good cheer to medicine. I'm like, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I got to tell you that it's, it's switching that frame because so much as we think about healthcare and medicine today, it's again, focusing on what's broken. And all the different ways, I mean, we're thinking about it as a system. And I can tell you what I think about a system, like, oh, there's so much weight under the, you know, on, on top of, you know, all of this. And I love, like, as I just hear you talking back about, okay, well, removing the diagnosis automatically, my skeptic brain goes, yeah, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> but it's the whole thing about disassociating from that that labeling 
And so I, I just think it, it's really just looking at what's possible. And so that connection, meeting people where they are and helping them do their best. We don't need all this other baloney with all the different mm-hmm. administrative blah, 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 like all of it, mm-hmm. all of it, all the stuff that makes it this big unwieldy system how light it feels to me to think about connecting with another human and helping them live their best life. Okay, talk about really nebulous and ill-defined, but I got to tell you right there is my vision. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds so simple too. There's no charts and graphs and technology, right? It's just getting to the heart of where both provider or, you know, client patient is. I have a question about this idea when you talk about disassociating um, with the diagnoses, what about this dissociating for what really the um, identity of a doctor means? Like, what is that identity? What is the definition of a doctor in your mind? And is there something there that needs there there does does that need to be dissociated or changed? Does that definition need to be changed? I don't know that people um, on the podcast can really appreciate the way that I keep on looking off into my <laughs> contemplative space whenever you ask these questions. <laughs> oh my goodness, I love this. I am tapping into the great ever knowing here. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I really appreciate as you talk about the healers and coming back to physicians as healers. And, and I, I think that that's something that we don't ever need to disassociate whatsoever. It's just all of the other things where it's like, so diagnoses are not bad, like even so, but it's like all the labeling that happens with it. And it's kind of like associating that diagnosis with the person, as opposed to this is a means to be able to help them get what they need. And so I think that coming back to that healer part really is something that we can emphasize that the holistic nature, that it's not just about the physical body. It's not just about finding the medications. It's about finding that community connection, the relationships, the emotional and and physical well-being, all of it coming in together. A a healer, honestly, as we're talking about that intersection between coaching and modern medicine, healer is Mm -hmm. in between. Absolutely. Um, Tapping into that sense of self and helping someone truly realize who they are as an individual, that would be, I think, number one on the the job description for a healer. (laughs) Along with, by the way, do no harm. So (laughs) going to go old school too. I love that. All right, Wendy, tell us back on earth, 
what you're <laughs> doing with families and focus. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Family and focus. I love it. Um, this, this is my baby. This is totally my baby. This is bringing together, you know, all of my medical background, my love for families and communication with families, the coaching and all of the work that I've done over all these years with nutrition, growth, behavioral, you know, pediatrics, all of it. And so what I'm doing is um, supporting parents, empowering parents to really create the, the healthy habits for the whole family at home. And what that really looks like is that, you know, right now, whenever there's any kind of concerns about a child's weight, you know, whether it's overweight, whether it's obesity, even just any concerns about weight at all, the parent gets so focused on what they need to change, whether it's losing weight. So actually changing the numbers on the scale, changing the way that they feed their child, changing the way that their child moves changing the foods that they have in the house, um, changing the foods that the child has access to. And so much of it is coming down to changing the child. You know, the, the message that comes across to the child is that, you know, there's something wrong with them. There's something broken, something needs to be fixed. And really it's trying to reframe this entire approach to how we're looking at weight and kids. And ultimately, I, I challenge, it's not the weight that we need to change. It's totally not the, the weight. It's looking at what kind of habits are we instilling within our family? And I'm not even just talking about, you know, what kind of habits about the way that you eat, but it's looking at that connection. What are we focusing on? How are we using movement to express ourselves as opposed to burning off the calories of whatever you just ate, you know, and, and looking at what it is that we want to create as a family, as opposed to what we think we need to focus on and fix. We I love your, your so finding joy in movement, you know, but it's not Absolutely. about, Yeah. It's not about just calorie reduction or increasing metabolism, you know? Yeah. So much of what we do is trying to brainstorm um, with families about what is it that's, you know, a possibility. Like, hey, how can we look at movement? What, what is possible to get out of the house or to just move your body? It doesn't even have to be out of the house. And just going through a long list of like, nothing is wrong. Don't make any kind of judgments, uh, judgments about it. Just list what are all the different possibilities um, that you and your child can, can list. And then afterwards, go back and see as you go through each one of those, where the child sparks any kind of positive emotion, any kind of energy that, you know, intrigue, interest, adventure, you know, they, they want to do it, you know, any of that and go with it, no matter what it looks like, because it, it's trying to find that joy in the movement, whatever it looks like, maybe joy is not the word, you know, but, but the interest, the thing that's going to drive them to want to do it, to explore, mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, I, I don't want to run. Oh my goodness gracious. You mentioned running and I'm like, uh, -uh not going to happen. 
walking the dogs. Heck yeah. All in, you know, kids are the same way, you know, that it's just trying to find things that, that lead them to do it again and to keep on trying and exploring. And the other thing I, (laughs) I talk about with my kids is, you know, you got to keep on trying things. You can't say that you don't like something when you haven't tried it. (laughs) And I challenge, you can't say that you don't like something when you've only done it once. You got to like, keep on just exploring, trying and giving yourself the opportunity. It's practice. It's all practice. How many things we didn't like the first time around? Find your joy. Yeah. Yeah. Follow your bliss. What? So I'm listening to your baby, your family in focus. And could it, is it possible that that's what the future of healthcare looks like? This is your practice and this is healthcare in Wendy's world for families who are struggling with weight. And then we have another world of healthcare that's Camille's world. And my friend often says she's a physical therapist and she does dry needling. And she says that we're all going to be the CEO of our own life, practice, whatever it is in the future. And that's what healthcare looks like to her. Do you think that that's a possibility that everybody, they go beyond the identity of heal of physician, PT, PA, whatever, and they go into the multidimensional world and then they choose a path that serves a certain population of people. And everybody has their own little healthcare world. So you're saying from the, from the provider standpoint, as far as our own little healthcare world, I can totally fall in love with that idea. Um, So much of what I I think about, you know, what, what I'm doing is a lot of coaching parents, you know, it, it, it is, I'm focusing on, you know, the concerns around weight because I see the need there and I need to really, you know, kind of focus my, my messaging uh, with families, but I totally see that opportunity to be able to help people thrive and truly changing what preventative medicine really looks like. Uh, And I don't know, maybe, maybe that's even it, like going beyond the concept of prevention to again, like optimization and, and thriving and how you, when we talk about preventing something, we're still focusing on what it is that we're trying to prevent. <laughs> what is it that we actually want to create? Right. That's a totally different frame of mind to look at it. And it's a different energy mm-hmm. that we use to, to achieve that, to get there. And I think that that's something, as I picture what the future of healthcare would look like, oh, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Okay, the skeptic brain is also jumping in here going, oh, there's so much between here and there. Oh my goodness, that's dismantling everything 
<laughs> everything that that skeptic slash realist brain um like oh my gosh everybody's an employee right now can you imagine all of us being ceos <laughs> that's amazing but that's amazing like that is that is oh my goodness <laughs> oh I'm totally going, you, you told, you were trying to get me back to like being grounded here. And I'm like going off going, oh, that's amazing. let's go there. <laughs> but I call, I call that the mind, right? Like the mind is always trying to solve problems, set goals, meet somebody, something. And the soul is just like, oh, that feels really great. <laughs> Greenland of everybody's their own CEO. It feels. Well, and I love even that whole concept which I, I hadn't been introduced to until I dove into coaching, you know, about what it's like to be the CEO of your own life. Mm. And, you know, at first I was like, that's baloney. Skeptics totally talking. <laughs> but, you know, like that's baloney, you know, but whatever. I, I don't need to get paid big money. I'm like, that's not what it's about. You know, it, it's the CEO as in like, I'm truly in control of my own life, truly in charge of it. And recognizing, you know, again, all of that self-care, taking care of myself is about building up that, that reserve that I have, building up that, that, I don't know, power, potential, whatever. <laughs> like it, it's building all of that up. So I'm taking care of myself, I'm investing in myself. Those are words I never used before. Okay. But investing in myself with sleep, with my movement, with where I want to focus my attention, what brings me joy, all of that, dude. Yeah. I'm totally the CEO of my own life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's liberating to be able to approach um, my, my life that way. I wish that for everybody. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And what's true. And, and, and it's available for everybody. Exactly. Available. Yes. Exactly. What's true and possible for you and Erica and myself is true and possible for everyone. We can all be our little CEOs, the CEO of our life, which is what you, what you mentioned, right? All of us have that power to do that and empowering the, our patients, our clients, and knowing that it is possible for them and really kind of giving the power back. And that doesn't seem impossible to me. And even with the how of that doesn't seem impossible. Because just like, I mean, I've been practicing only 11 years. And in that 11 years, I went from patients um, expecting antibiotics to not expecting antibiotics, expecting pain medication to not expecting pain medication. So it can change where we put the power back in their hands to where simply starting with just here is your treatment plan, here are, here's A, B, and C, which one do you want to choose, mm -hmm. right? I don't have the answer. Try this one. See you in a month or three months. That's just yeah. the slow way of just giving power back. So the patient can then say, or client can then say, I have, um, what, I have the answers and it worked for me? 
And I, I'm going back to how we were planting those seeds over all those years of, you know, with the safety net antibiotic prescriptions and then, you know, saying, hey, you know what, whatever it is, 85% of ear infections can clear on their own, go take some Motrin, <laughs> you don't need antibiotics, you know, all of this. And it, it's, it's totally planting seeds and that's just in our generation. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Been there through the entire thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, so good. This is such a fabulous conversation. So my last question for you, Erica might have more, but is once we get off this podcast and you're going about your day, is there a question that you know will pop up and you're like, oh, or something that you wanted to say that would pop up and that you just need to let us know and the audience know now? Honestly, (laughs) my mind right now is like, which one? Oh my gosh. No, I I think it's really just the power of having these types of conversations about what is possible and let's please think outside of the box. And it's really something that is so meaningful and powerful for me right now to be able to have this, this connection with you, because these are not the conversations that we have that folks see. Yeah. I I gotta tell you, they're starting to happen more and more. And I gotta tell you, I, I tend to have these conversations within the big thinkers club, (laughs) The, the folks that are just like really trying to, you know, really push push on the what is possible, you know, question a lot more. And a lot of it is within coaching circles. Absolutely. Um, That's a big question for us. But I think that that's something that we need to keep having these conversations so that we can plant that seed with others, you know, whether it's within the medical profession or even just within the community, within our families. And the, the way that we're going to change anything is to just first even dream about it. I Now that we've dreamt about it, now that we've imagined what all of this is like and all of the, you know, different positions being the CEOs of their own, you know, specific practice and how they're going to heal each of their patients, guess what? It exists in the universe now. We've thought of it. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's going to happen. That's amazing. <laughs> But just like having these types of, of conversations, it is so energizing to be able to let loose from what we see right now, let go of that baggage and just be like, all right, where do I want this to go? What's possible? None of the stuff about the how. No, we'll figure that out. But just where do we want to go? Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> and what a beautiful question to bring to uh, your clinic in clinical practice right now, the urgent care um, around the table is, okay, guys, well, what's possible for today? You know, what's possible for us this month or this year? And um, in, a, in a really general sort of way, right? Not even about the specifics of, um, of, what's, of what's coming up. 
I think that that would be a really fun question to ask to see the responses that you get. <laughs> What's possible for us today and having fun. Yeah, I appreciate that because I think that that's going to be a very good um, segue. <laughs> Well, because so many times we go to, what do we need to fix? And again, we keep on coming back to that, but that's focusing on what we have right now, as opposed to, well, what else is possible that we haven't even contemplated yet? And just kind of letting our imaginations go loose and following wherever it goes, because there's something else that's out there and our brains are trying to like lead us there. (laughs) Yeah. <sighs> Beautiful. Well, I am so happy and excited and honored that you joined us. And um, I think, yeah, we'll end it there. I Where um, so much? Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is no, been wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, Wendy. Where can where can our audience find you? Oh, absolutely. I'm sorry. I didn't I didn't catch if that was a question in there. I, I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, uh, I am at uh, wendyshoffermd.com. Uh, where you can get all of the information about my family and focus program. Um, I also have my family and focus with Dr. Wendy Schofer podcast. <laughs> so it was a really creative name, you know, it just kind of fell out of the sky. Anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my goodness. But please, please come on over. I've got free resources. I've got uh, links on there to be able to get you hooked in with uh, my free uh, Facebook group as well. Uh, different resources that folks can access. So please check out the website. Is the website for uh, patients, for families, for providers, both? Oh, bring it. Website is for everybody. It, it's the World Wide Web. Uh, oh, bring I'm it sorry, on. The Facebook group. <laughs> oh. <laughs> The the Facebook group is actually for everybody. I have, um, you know, I started off advertising, you know, that I'm I'm just trying to connect families that are concerned. And I got to tell you, I have a lot of my colleagues that are also in there because um, I I totally admit with all this medical background, it did not mean that I didn't have my own concerns about my family's weight and, you know, how to feed them, how to move and everything. So this is a shared experience. You are going to find parents of all sorts of backgrounds in uh, that Facebook group, um, physicians, providers, all of them included. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Wendy. And uh, yeah, we spent the last two hours together and I am so honored and we will talk with you soon. Thank you so much. It's been such a joy. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so happy you're here. We look forward to bringing you more stories from the healer's journey on healthcare from the soul. If you've loved this podcast, please let us know by dropping a review on Apple Podcasts to support us getting the word out. As our gift to you, we'll send you a meditation 
Just screenshot your review and email us at healthcarefromthesoul at gmail.com. Thank you. And until next time, we're sending all our love.